Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... with a bang Fox has blown away in first half flurry a glimpse into Newcastle's helping hands campaign and New Year's resolution leads an Arsenal in the firing line with the January transfer window on the horizon Yes, hello, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne. Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, and despite there being the best part of 3,000 miles between the two of them, we are joined by the Athletics' Newcastle United correspondent, Chris Woff, and our senior writer, Mr. George Cog. And George, how the devil are you? Or should I say, where the devil are you? 3,000 miles is not, is not, it's not quite enough, though, is it, Chris? Not quite enough. Um, yes, I'm okay. I'm back in Portland, Oregon. I'm made a very nice. quick trip over to, to see my family at Christmas. Um, I think I said the last time I was here, my, my stepdad fell and broke his hip. So I thought I would make yes. a gesture to, to come back. So that's very nice. Um, it's a working holiday, but um, nice to be here. Lovely stuff. Chris, how are you? You all right? Did you have a good Christmas? Was Santa good to you? Uh, he was very good to be. Thanks, yeah. He sent George across the US, so it meant that I didn't have to see him over the Shock. Christmas weekend. So yeah, wonderful. No, Shock. Good Lord, used to. Come on. It's this is the season of goodwill to all men apart from... No, I did, I did have a very nice men. Christmas thing. Did you, did you, Taylor? Did you? I had a smashing Christmas, yeah. I, I was blessed with an awful lot of heartburn uh, <laughs> due to eating too much cheese and drinking a lot of wine and port and stuff like that. And uh, uh, ate an awful lot of food. Uh, had a lovely time. The kids really enjoyed it. It was brilliant. It was generally just a really lovely Christmas. And the first one with the pooch as well, and he had a great time. So try to eat everything inside. I brought an entire Christmas cake in my suitcase. To America, that was my my gesture. Did you have to declare that at customs, or mm, I was asked if I'd been if I brought anything, <laughs> any food or or things. Like that. Uh, do some Christmas shopping tomorrow. So yeah, that was um, that was interesting. I did get two gifts, uh, one of which is actually yours because I inherited your Minecraft. Uh, thing because you didn't because after the night out you left it with me so I currently have that That's right, but then yeah. second of all inadvertently my mother had actually bought me Coburn's port for Christmas so I did open that on Christmas day which the rest of my family found absolutely hilarious so uh, yeah excellent just poured it straight all over your groin yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've not had any I've not had any port maybe that, that's the one thing that I've missed yeah it's like I was trying to I mean not that like Christmas is hugely different over here but um, I wanted. I made bread sauce at Christmas on Christmas Day because they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have done that here. And I made roast potatoes because mm. they were going to just do mash. 
but I haven't had any Cockburn's port or any other kind of port. You're missing out, man. I am. I am obviously using the the traditional name for for Cockburn's port, Cockburn. Um, any port in a Cockburn. So, so I've missed out a bit on, on port. Yeah, that's annoying, annoying. I got some Stilton as well. I brought some Stilton. Ooh, no better is there Christmas. A lovely bit of Stilton. You're not going to be allowed out of the country, are you, George? They're just going to, they're going to listen Possibly. to this podcast. That's, just... that's the dream. That's the dream, Chris. That is the dream. You're starting up a gout farm <laughs> in Portland, Oregon. Lovely stuff. Anyway, right then, chops. Newcastle United 3, Leicester City 0. What a boxing day bonanza that was, Chris Woff. Two up inside 10 minutes. Chris Wood beautifully twatting his penalty down the middle uh, after Callum Wilson wasn't able to play due to illness. But what a fantastic result and what a great day. Absolutely brilliant day. I mean, Newcastle were fantastic, certainly during the first half. Leicester were poor, but that was because Newcastle made them poor. I mean, there was it was weird because in the first 20 minutes, there was quite a few sort of challenges that Leicester looked to maybe even be 70-30 in favour of getting towards them, and they almost appeared scared. It was like they were rabbit caught in headlights, pulling out of challenges. Out, yeah. I mean, maybe because they'd given away an absolutely stupid penalty, which is one of the worst tackles I've ever seen in terms of what he thought. Even if he'd won the ball, what did he think he was going to try? It was just a bizarre way to try and tackle someone. Hung a leg out. Yeah, which Joe Linton, who was magnificent, he won the penalty. So within t- that was within 90 seconds. So within three minutes, Newcastle lead. Within seven minutes, they're 2-0 up. Miguel Almiron uh, making me look like a right idiot again. Uh, absolute, that that goal was a thing of absolute beauty. It was gorgeous, wasn't it? Yeah, such a good team goal. That right-hand side combining so well. Bruno Guimaraes' first-time pass oh. to release Almiron, who continued his run. Then the touch to then just glide past and, and how calm he was in front of goal to just finish beyond what a, what a what a wonderful goal. And from that point on, you just never even felt that they were going to be in any trouble whatsoever. The amount of boxing days that we've all sat through that Newcastle United have, have been embarrassed. Oh, God. And yet they were the ones embarrassing Leicester City on, on their own ground and just absolutely thoroughly deserved victory. The ball from the Bruno and the finish by Miggy were, were, yes, absolutely brilliant. But if you wind the, the tape back even further, the crossfield pass by Bruno to Trippier was pinpoint accurate. But just before that, he did a little Zidane roulette to get himself out of trouble to keep possession and then play the ball. And then as the ball's in midair, you actually see Kieran Trippier go to Miggy, get away, get away from his, get away down the line and tells him where to go. That little triumvirate of those three players, I'm in awe whenever I watch them at the minute. They are absolutely wonderful, George. They, they, they are stepping it up week after week after week. Yeah, and Chris and I had a had a, had a a chat actually before before the match. And it was like, well, you know, what do you... What, what do we think might happen or what do we think might be a good thing to write about or talk about or whatever? And it was that thing of, you know, Wilson being out. Oof, okay. So, you know, the, the stand-ins have stepped in really well for Newcastle all the, way, all the way through the season. But this is a big test. You know, this is Leicester side who recovered from a very poor start of the season. They've been in good form. I mean, they've been in really good form before the break. I think it was, what, one defeat in eight, something like that, and had, had recovered. Would this be the match? I've written so I, I watched the match with Robbie Elliott, the former Newcastle left back, in a bar in Portland. I'll come on to talk about that in a bit, and it was great. You know, seven in the morning, we had exactly the same conversation beforehand. It was, does is this is this the banana skin game? Is this the game where reality reexerts itself? And obviously, Woods blasting that penalty after two minutes, and you're thinking, okay, why have I expended any energy at all? <laughs> like even being slightly concerned. And and that to me is almost the story of yesterday. Yes, there was that blitz of goals. What one, one of the things that like stood out was how boring the second half was, and I mean that I mean that as a compliment in the sense that Newcastle just shut it down. 
And so there was no jeopardy, was there? No. And I was able to have this, you know, I was able to have a chat with Robbie. We were just gossiping and talking and catching up and all this kind of stuff without having that fear of this might not be enough or Leicester will come back into it. And Newcastle are so good, not just on the ball with those players that you mentioned, Taylor, doing good stuff. They're so good at closing down, shutting down matches, shutting down the opposition. Yeah, the game management, Chris. It was it was pretty wonderful, wasn't it? You could you could you could actually see that Newcastle took their foot off the gas, but they knew that Leicester didn't have it in them to break them down. So they just kind of sat back, and went, "That's it. We're three 0 up. You're not going to get past us." That's the end of the game, and it, it, the entire second half was like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Howe said after the game that actually he was a, he was a little bit disappointed with Newcastle in terms of... He said, I don't want possession for possession's sake, but I thought we could have had more of the ball and, and, and done more with it in the second half. But that's him nitpicking because of the huge standards he had. Leicester were never getting back in the game. They never shot on target till the 82nd minute. Um, even then, it was a very comfortable save for Nick Pope. I mean, there was the one which was offside for Vardy, where Pope again showed how magnificent he oh. is for not having anything to do up until about the hour mark, and then suddenly he reacts. He didn't know that Vardy was offside. But... What he just saw so much about what Eddie Howe wants from that team. There was a moment, I think the clock ticked into the 89th minute. Matt Ritchie had just come on the pitch and he'd sort of played a ball down the line to nobody in particular, ran after it himself to press. And the rest of the team hadn't quite followed initially. And Howe, in the 89th minute, when Newcastle are 3-0 up, comfortably moving towards victory, just started screaming at his players, up, 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 up. And they all pressed. And eventually Danny Ward kicks yeah. the ball out of play because Newcastle press high yeah. in the 89th minute. And that's, that's what it's like. Rob Tanner, our uh, Leicester reporter, turned to me at the start of the, in about 10 minutes in the second half and he said, the press is, is phenomenal from Newcastle. He said, even if you get through the first press, they'll almost inevitably smother you on the second press, the second line of the second wave of it, because they're just on you. And that is um, the first game back after having been not not played for six weeks in the in the Premier League. That's why Howe was so delighted with the first half, because it t- usually takes teams at the start of a season three, four, five games before they get up to where they need to be. Yeah. Newcastle, on what was almost like a, 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 the season restarting, well, it was a season restarting, they were, they were at their levels immediately, and Leicester couldn't cope. Yeah, we, we wondered, didn't we? We were sort of slightly, I mean, I had a slight concern in the back of my head. Are Newcastle going to be able to to replicate what they were doing before the break. And they came back all guns blazing, George. And it was, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that Bournemouth uh, Cup game in a bit. And it wasn't the greatest performance, but the, the energy levels they had against Leicester, it looked like they'd never been away, didn't it? Yeah. All those questions we keep, we keep asking ourselves. They just, they just, they just, they shut us down as well. I mean, and it's, it's that thing. And, um, you know, so, so I was watching, as I said, I was watching a match at the, at the, Marathon Taverna, which is just opposite um, Providence Park, which is where Portland Timbers play yesterday. And as soon as that, as soon as the second goal went in, I think there was a shout of "Oh my god, oh my god!" across the bar. I mean, the, I don't think there were particularly Newcastle fans in it. And somebody shouted, "Who was watching it? They're going to qualify for the top four. And then at the end, they flashed up the league table, and both Robbie and I said, "In unison, fucking hell." In seeing Newcastle second, second place, yeah, they're like confounding everybody and everything, including us, week in, week out. And I think they made yesterday easy, and that is the sort of that is almost one of the kind of scariest things about it. They, it felt like a you know, it felt like a big test. Leicester are a good yardstick for Newcastle to measure themselves against. I know they've struggled this season. I know they didn't spend 
uh, very much in summer. But in terms of what they've achieved as a club, winning the title in incredible circumstances, but then winning a cup, um, their stadium, their training ground is is incredible. They've done very smart recruitment. They're a team. They're a team for new and a club for Newcastle to aspire to. On yesterday's evidence, they're already miles ahead of them in terms of the football pitch, and it's like they're steamrolling these fears that we might have. And yeah, it's like trying to reconfigure your own brain to accept the reality of what they're doing week in, week out. Where is the hiccup? Where is the banana skin? They're just striding over it all. Yesterday was incredibly impressive for how routine it felt. Yeah. And speaking of striding over everything, Joe Linton with that header, Chris, he just, <laughs> there was nothing stopping him from getting at that ball, was there? He wanted it more than everybody else in that penalty area. And my God, he got it. Uh, and, and battered it into the net with his forehead. What a, a great goal for him as well. Nice to see him on the score sheet. He's put a lot of hard work in uh, before the break, playing well, good performances, and it's nice to see him get his goal. Yeah, and I believe the celebration afterwards uh, tells us that there's some positive news in order for him as well. I believe that there is a little... I've been doing one of those celebrations myself recently. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the football. It's just a little bit of excess uh, Christmas food. But yeah, again, that showed the... <laughs> Almost Newcastle just bu- just bullied Leicester in many ways. I mean, Newcastle are a big physical side. That's that's something that you you look at them and you, and you, and you, th- you just look across the pitch and they have sort of man mountains everywhere. They have athleticism across the pitch and, and Joe Linton just really epitomises that. I thought he was fantastic down the left. Him and Willock interchanged very very well. Newcastle targeted yeah. uh, the the right back for for Leicester Castagna, who actually. Again, our Leicester reporter was telling me he's 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 probably Leicester's best defender, and yet Newcastle targeted him. They saw that he wasn't going to get the support yeah. from the rest of the team, and Leicester started playing with like a four-one-four-one almost. And Newcastle just he, he maybe didn't see it on the telly, but from where I was in the press box, you could see Newcastle just swarmed them in midfield. They just had more numbers there, and eventually he moved Tielemans a bit deeper, and it was a four-two-three-one. Leicester started to get a bit more into the game. Then that's when they improved slightly, but by then the game was already done, and Joe Linton then yeah. from a set piece which Leicester have been awful at most of the season at defending them Newcastle again have been brilliant at scoring from them and capitalised on that and from that point on it was sort of almost in cruise control for Newcastle not expend too much energy they also have played 48 hours before Leicester well before Leeds sorry more than 48 hours about 55 hours before Leeds will so they have that advantage on New Year's Day, as, uh, New Year's Eve, sorry, as well, yeah, that they will go into that game because Leeds don't play till we're recording this on Tuesday. Leeds play tomorrow night. Um, so Newcastle have a major advantage there in theory of being able to rest up and get ready for that test. I was just going to mention the away form in general. I mean, I think that's three three wins in a row away from home as well. I mean, obviously their overall form is astonishing. And we, we kind of regularly highlight the home form and how impressive that's been under Eddie Howe. But you know this this away form that's that's the measure of the team as well I think the measure of a good team the fact that they're you know it's not just when their own crowd is behind them we know how brilliant St James's has been uh, since the takeover but away from home there it is that sort of shithousery thing but just knowing what what to do and when to do it and um, when to close close games down I think that's the other impressive thing that there isn't sort of a flicker of difference between their home form and away form in lots of ways. I just think that's overall the form is astonishing, but the uh, the the away form has ended up playing a massive part in this. So. Yeah, especially when you can go to teams and bully them in their own stadium, it's 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 great fun to see, isn't it? Uh, we've got a little bit of audio from Eddie Howe as well, a bit of reaction after the game. Have a listen to this. Yeah, when you consider the opposition and the game and the break and everything that's gone into preparing for this game, 
to start in the manner that we did was hugely important. Real credit to the players for how they've attacked today's game, scored some really good goals, but very, very pleased with the first half performance. Uh, and then the general mentality of the group, again, very, very good after the break. The players deserve huge credit because physically, mentally, to play the way that we do is not easy. You're constantly asking players to reach really high intensity levels with their work. That comes from their training. So then their attitude to the training has to be uh, fully committed. So I can't praise the group enough. Especially when, it's, as I said before, it's been a, a difficult period where you don't have your whole squad together. So you're working a smaller group and then you're implementing players back in when they return. So it's not been like a clean, full pre-season. So today was a big test for us and I'm delighted with how the players responded. I want the supporters and I've had no problem with the supporters dreaming and talking and speculating about what we can achieve and no doubt you guys will because I can't control that. I just think the only thing that we need to be mindful of internally is we just have to focus on what we can control which is our own thoughts and our own actions and how we train and how we prepare and just not look too far ahead or not listen to too much news, media, whatever, uh, and just focus on um, our training and make sure we focus on it game by game because you know, this is a, the toughest league in the world for a reason and our opposition, uh, no doubt, will be watching us and, and preparing for us, so we need to be ready. With goals, you get different feelings with different goals. The, the third goal pleases me just as much as the second goal, although they're totally different in the way that they're formed, but the, the team move is a satisfying one. Um, for obvious reasons, because as a coach you're, you're looking to implement ideas and try and um, produce scenarios like that. But then the set play is just, as I say, just as good. The first one's just as good because it's off the back of our out-of-possession work. So as long as we score, I don't really mind how they're formed. With the break, you're, you're wary and conscious that things can change. Um, so when we come back, we wanted to make sure the team was functioning as it has done. Uh, really pleased to see Miggy keep scoring and hopefully he can do that throughout the season. Chris, it sounded like Eddie was a bit more polite to you um, after the after the match. Have you have you have you made up? Have you have you did you take him in an apple? Um, what's 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 gone on there? Well, actually, for various reasons, I did, I wasn't at um, the press pre match press conference on the Friday, and when I arrived at the uh, press room, one of the other journalists said to me, "I was wondering if you had like a one press conference ban or something after the, the week before the way that, that Eddie Howard spoken to you." But no, he was he was a lot more uh, he's he's a lot more receptive to my question uh, after after it there, and basically he was delighted. It's weird going the King Power because Newcastle are either brilliant or absolutely woeful there. I mean, their record is just bizarre it's so topsy-turvy they either get hammered or hammer Leicester and thankfully on this occasion they hammered them but I think of all the performances this was the most complete throughout those I mean you were there last year George when when they lost 4-0 quite early in Eddie Howe's tenure weren't you? I was yes I was I mean and the contrast obviously with yesterday is, is sort of startling again but you know yesterday was so routine I mean it was so routine but it's those routine things that are giving people that ambition and I'm you know I know that it wasn't routine in the away end, for example, because you could hear <laughs> everyone screaming, you know, Geordie Boy's <laughs> taking the piss, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But as I said, watching it like over, it was kind of bleary eyed with coffee and a breakfast sandwich, you know, with Robbie, we were able to turn away from the TV screen and just have a nice catch up and a chat because we weren't drawn to the sort of awful car crash fear that Newcastle has been like over the last few years and more. 
um, that we could we could afford to turn away because you knew that Leicester there was no way Leicester were going to get back into that match. Yeah, and that you know that sort of feeling of enjoyment and not having to sort of expend all that worry on the team is is lovely. Is lovely too. The weird thing about that, George, is you say that, that Robbie Elliott looks like he had a lovely time with you. I mean, if you if anyone actually goes into the article and sees the photos that George has shared, Robbie Elliott looks absolutely startled. I mean, that's the effect George has on people, just sheer he terror. He looks like he's been kidnapped. He, does, yeah. he looks like a kidnapped victim. Right, well, hang on. He's, Rob, he, Robbie, blink <laughs> twice if you're okay. Hang on a second. He's, he's, he is still in my basement here, so let me... <laughs> Robbie, you had a lovely time, didn't you? Yes, I did. So, wow, it's got so, quite a high voice, hasn't he? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please, let's move on. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Not mentioned by how Chris, but he did have another excellent game, and and his his value this season has, has been amazing. Newcastle is is Sven Botman. Um, you had a, a you've had a bit of an in focus piece on him and and detailed his rapid acclimatisation to the Premier League. The lad's twenty two years old. He looks like he's been playing in the Premier League for seven eight years. It, it, it it's astonishing the performance levels he's he does. Him. And Brendan Rodgers name checked him after the match, and I think that's because my understanding is that Leicester won the clubs who were also looking at him, and when they were considering that Fafana was obviously going to leave last summer, mm. but Newcastle had already by then long registered their interest. It was November. So November twenty twenty one, when they really started to try and and, and prize him away from from Leland, obviously took a long period of time, but uh, they managed to get him. And his story's a, a fascinating one because he's only twenty two, but he actually Ajax were going to release him when he was a teenager. I spoke to I spoke to some of his coaches, and they were saying there was basically other people within the academy wanted to release him. They gave him one last opportunity at Ajax. He wasn't really seen as an Ajax player because although we see him as being phenomenal in possession, he isn't a sort of archetypal sort of the Ajax sort of way the Johan Cruyff way. Quite fit yeah. yeah, and so he had to go. He, he he was he was basically told, "Oh, you can stay here and keep playing for young Ajax, who were like their reserves." And he 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 was determined to get first team football. He knew the only way he was going to make it was first team football. So he went on loan to Heerenveen. Um, he was sort of looked down upon, I think, by some of his teammates. And why are you going there? He then left to go to Lille. Because again, he was told he would play the big clubs around Europe. But what Neil said to him that others didn't was, "You'll come here and you'll play." And he was desperate to play. And he thought the way I will improve isn't get better is to play. Yeah. Obviously, then he, he gets his move to Newcastle. He's not been in the Netherlands squad under Louis Van Gaal, but under Ronald Koeman, who's expected to take charge. I can't see how he's going to keep overlooking him because he's in the team with the meanest defence in the Premier League. He has just taken 
to the Premier League so comfortably. He looks so assured every single match. And I don't think there's a... As Eddie Howe describes him, he doesn't see a weakness in his game and I don't see a weakness in his game. And he's only, as you say, he's only 22 years of age. But with that as well, he is only 22 years of age. But you've got to remember, he has played a lot of football and, and at Lille, he played in the Champions League. I mean, and he looked great. He looked comfortable. We have to remember that. You know, there is a there's a player there and people keep saying about his age and I'm probably one of the, uh, the, the, the people who do that the most. But he's played a lot of football. And now when he's come to the Premier League, you can tell because he looks so comfortable. Yeah, I mean, just, just for that piece, I mean, there's people within it who one of his former Lille teammates refers to him as a monster, basically, out on the pitch. It says that, that when actually when he went to Lille, Jose Fonte, the former... Uh, Southampton centre-back was, was there at the time and it was to replace uh, Gabriel who was go- who went to Arsenal and basically when the, when they initially signed Sven Botman Joseph Fonte went to the club and said this guy's not played enough he can't come and do this and he said within three weeks I'd gone back to the board and I'd said actually this guy's brilliant um, and, and and he turned out to be to be wonderful. I spoke to his brother for the piece, loads of others. So it's a, yeah. Yeah, it's a long read, basically, the making of, of Sven Botman, Newcastle United's monster. It's a great, great piece. It's a, it's a Chris special. It's uh, it's really, really, really good and really thorough and really detailed, as you mentioned from Chris. But, Excellent. I mean, it's the, the the incredible thing, I mean, and it does sort of really apply. It applies to sort of most of the signings post-takeover. But really, when you look at the sort of big ones, when you look at... Uh, we'll take Isak out of the equation a little bit, albeit he made an immediate impression, but just because we've not seen him. But both Bruno and Botman, to be able to come into the team, and you know, obviously Bruno was sort of assimilated into it a little bit, but only a little bit, to be as brilliant as they have from the off is just incredible. I mean, how many times have we seen over the years players take six months, even a year, to adapt to the Premier League, to a different way of working, to a different league, sometimes even players within the you know, within England, you know, it's not necessarily a foreign place, but usually the kind of rule of thumb would that would be that you would, you know, probably give people a year to properly settle in and understand it. Yeah. And those two have just been astonishing from the off. And if this is their settling in period, <laughs> what are they going to be like in a in, in another year's time, in, in two years' time? Look out. And that's you know, that's the thing with these two players. Absolutely. Newcastle have got people at the beginning. So, you know, the, the the astonishing thing about the Keegan time were, you know, players like Ginola. I mean, Robbie was telling a funny story yesterday about, you know, nobody knew who Ginola, Ginola was when he came to Newcastle. So, that you know, that's the way that football's changed now. Now we can all watch League Out if we want to. And we know about the people who play for PSG. You know, Ginola played for PSG and nobody knew who he was. That was the kind of... Uh, that was just the kind of world we lived in. But it was that astonishing time when Newcastle, you know, they would watch the World Cup and then suddenly Philippe Albert was playing next to them or Tino and then Shearer came. But those are all established players at that point. Newcastle with these two have got players right at the start who are going to improve and get better. And ugh, it's, yeah, incredible. Just gems, aren't they? Absolute yeah, gems. absolutely. Gems. It's also nice to get uh, nice to get a little bit of a psychological edge on Leicester as well, as they're going to be our opponents in the League Cup quarter final. Uh, and also, I mean, we we have like a, a live um, a live running order for this show, and Ollie, our producer, has written in it in massive fucking capital letters. You need to hurry up a bit. Uh, so we're going to move on. Well, that's my fault. Sorry, just, sorry, Ollie. Sorry, yeah, Ollie. Are we I, busy enjoying Newcastle United being brilliant a bit too much yeah, for you? Yeah, I'm Ollie? sorry. Sorry, I do Ollie. Apologise. Like Grinch of Christmas. God, 
Honestly, just should say though on on Bournemouth, yeah, it wasn't that wasn't a good that wasn't a great match particularly. It wasn't Newcastle at, at top form, but they got the job done and they're in the bloody quarter final. And that doesn't happen enough. Amazing. That doesn't happen enough for us to be blasé about it. So yeah, very good. Just just quickly on that, George, my dad was actually furious that we talked about Bournemouth. He was in full agreement with you. He's like, why the hell did you talk about it? He was absolutely <laughs> yes, of furious. course. It was weird. It made He's absolutely no sense pretending. Okay, let's. I don't. Leave it. Need, I don't need to get angry. It's not worth. It's not worth raking over old muck. Let's just leave it. Okay. Come on. Let's move on. Um, ladies and gents, don't forget, uh, there's a little Boxing Day sale on at the moment. Uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay £1 a month for 12 months. That's a whole year. Uh, and that's a limited time offer. Check that out now at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Back in a tick. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, so chaps, throughout December, Newcastle United have been running their Help and Hands campaign, a coordinated strategy to try and make their work with the local communities go a bit further. George, you've been heavily involved in all of this stuff. Give us a little bit of background on it. Yeah, so throughout the month of December, Newcastle have been doing various initiatives. A couple of big things. There was a big donation to the West End Food Bank, £150,000, and also the Newcastle United Foundation building has been sort of opened as a safe, warm weather space for people to go to. Obviously, it's a very t- difficult time at the minute, what with cost of living and, and fuel poverty and things like that. So those were the sort of big headline parts of it. But very interestingly, the food bank thing came about, or to rephrase that slightly, the idea behind that was not something that was sort of laid down by people at the top of the club. Newcastle executives had a kind of bonding session, a a get-together, and they thought about this idea of volunteering. And basically, they've been volunteering throughout December at the food bank. And I love this. I mean, we know what the reaction is when Newcastle do anything good at the moment. That there's It always comes with that caveat that this is sports washing or, or something else. But this campaign came internally through the club people wanting to actually volunteer and that's been open to everybody at the football club and um yes I, so i was there on a on a very nice day um at st james's church i say very nice day it was it was kind of bittersweet when gift packs were being given out to people who used the food bank and um Murdad Gadusi was there and Darren Eels was there and they were working now Darren Eels had actually spent two and a half days helping pack up some of these gifts, but that was sort of behind the scenes and not seen, talked about. And the other thing to point out is that Newcastle have a very, very long-standing relationship with the food bank. So although we did criticise the previous regime for a lot of things, they were the people that allowed NUFC Fans Food Bank to use the Newcastle United name to collect on match days. Lee Charnley volunteered at the West End Food Bank. They helped do up that facility and players from Isaac to Alan Maxima to Paul Dummett, plenty of others. Rafa Benitez donated money 
regularly to the food bank. It's been a real, it's a bad news story, but it's a good news story in the sense that that link has been there. The, the beautiful thing now is that because of the way the club is being run, it can be much more outward facing and it's creating relationships. And it's, you know, this whole idea of volunteering. Darren, Darren Eels talked about, you know, it's one club, it's one city. It's, it's about time the club started supporting the city in that way, not just about giving money, but about being part of these conversations, being good citizens. Anyway, I could talk about this all day, but we spoke to lots of people, spoke to Merdad Gadusi about why the club got involved. Also spoke to the Newcastle West End Food Bank CEO, John McCurry, about why it was so important. And then first up, uh, we had a chat with Darren Eels with a bit more on how the food bank effort fits into their Helping Hand campaign. Today's the second day of volunteering that we've done. So we've got the Helping Hands, which was really a sort of overarching campaign for December. And it was really focused on a number of areas. Uh, one, obviously, the financial, the donation to the food bank, um, you know, 150,000 from the club. Uh, obviously, you know, driven and supported by our ownership. And, um, and really, what we wanted to do was say, look, firstly, there's the financial impact because we know, especially with the food bank, normally we do the donations that come from our supporters and with the World Cup we didn't have any games in yeah, yeah. December so this was a way of trying to fill that need from a financial perspective but I think you know for me even more important than that was the the volunteering and that's volunteering from our employees so that's something that's come from the employees come from the club really and our values that we wanted to do something that that was a real gesture of solidarity of actually getting out there and you know spending some time trying to help uh, but it's not just us obviously the employees it's the players that do the yeah. hospital visits so we've got both our men's and women's team going out and doing those visits as well so that idea of actually doing something as well as the financial donation we've obviously got the foundation that does amazing work all year round but they're kicking in with the warm spaces so specific to the issues at the moment with you know families that particularly some you know families that our foundation is working with where they can have a safe space that's warm over the sort of December period and January to be able to do that so trying to just consolidate and bring everything together in that campaign and again you know the other bit is you know, showing and I think you know I mentioned this earlier but you know we're right here in the heart of the community I think you know we're a one city one club but this is a way of you know the community and the city supports the club this is a small way and it's only a small way we know that but it's a way of us showing our support for the city yeah, so and that's it, a, yeah. important for me as or important for the club that there's that demonstration of our commitment. Okay, so what we've got is we've um, pulled together what we're calling warm hampers, which are um, gift packs, and we have them set out for families, couples and singles. They're over and above the sort of ordinary food bank parcel, and what we've put into them is for a family, for instance, we know who that parcel is going to go to, so if there's two or three kids in that, we'll put in sca scarves, hats, um, water bottles, there's a blanket, we'll put in toys for the kids um, because we know there might be two girls and a boy in that family. So each pack is individually put together to help that family. And as you'll see, there's even wrapping paper there yeah. for to help mom and dad out to sort of wrap, wrap presents up for the kids. So yeah, we're just delighted to be able to pull those together. It's the first year we've been doing it and it's been great to have the support of our club to do something special and different for Christmas. Fantastic. And 
talk a little bit about the campaign that the club are doing. Um, I mean, obviously they've they've handed over a big cheque today, which is I'm sure is always appreciated by the food bank. But for them also to be volunteering like this, I mean, to have you've always had a good connection with the club, a good relationship with the club, even during difficult times. What does it What does it mean to have this cemented in the way that it has been? Yeah, well, we're, we're a small team um, of seven staff working across the city and volunteers are the, the lifeblood that keeps us going. But this sort of operation is over and above what we ordinarily do. So to have the club bring its staff um, and people along to support us. Actually, so yesterday we, we packed over 500 of these food parcels. The club made their premises available for us. They helped us set up an assembly line to get the packing going. They offered us secure space in the evening to store it up. And then the stadium? It was in, yeah, we we, we did it in the stadium. And uh, worked worked with our staff team to just pull that all together. To have the 500 parcels ready to go out this morning and this afternoon. This morning we um, had volunteers from the club again helping to distribute the parcels over in Biker. It's in Silas Church. And then this afternoon, of course, here at St. James's, we've some uh, special guests along to help us. And uh, we've uh, a lot of people just sitting next door ready to come through and pick up their parcel. As an ownership, we, we looked at what we could do that could have an impact straight away. And given our historical uh, relationship with the food bank, Jamie's relationship with the food bank, uh, we thought it would be uh, you know, a good place for us to be able to, uh, to donate some money where we could see it hit the community as, as quickly as possible. Uh, Christmas around the corner, it's an it's a incredible time for a lot of families, but it's also a very difficult time for yeah, yeah. a lot more families. Yeah. So. And it's not just about signing over a big cheque, which is obviously great and will be used very well, but you're, you're all getting your hands dirty here? Yeah, 100%. As I said, community is, is, a, is a big word for us and, and we really need it. I think uh, you know the club is ingrained in the fabric of the, of the city, uh, and vice versa. So for us, it's not just about giving giving money, but it's also about putting our time and efforts into it as well, and linking that relationship between the club and the community. We've seen our numbers increase significantly at the food bank. We're now issuing. 2,000 parcels every month. That's more than we've ever issued before, really. We're hitting all-time highs every month. Over 23 tonnes of food required to fill those parcels. And, you know, we still hadn't bounced back since COVID. Uh, Donations of food had dropped off. So the funds from the club um, are going to be great to help us purchase on bulk food to meet up, make up that shortfall. In terms of the people that are using our service, Obviously, there's more and more people find themselves pushed into financial hardship, and that's quite often an unseen story across yeah. the city. So, um, really, to have the support from the club and the recognition that there's people out there in our city who um, are just scraping by, some not even that, it just gives a sense of belonging, a sense of uh, common purpose, yeah. um, and a one city feel, I gotta say, to um, supporting charities that are like ourselves that are working with. Uh, families that are struggling to get by. And this is this is a sort of high profile thing because of the people who are here and the club, as I say, handing over a cheque and things like that. But really the food bank has been the connection to sort of ordinary people who've been donating on match days. That's been the lifeblood of the of the West End Food Bank, hasn't it really, over the last few years? 
Yeah, we, we started off in the West End of the city in Stoke West End Food Bank, but the reality is we're now operating um, across the city. We have a network of seven pop-up type food bank centres that open every week across the city. Um, that primarily came about because of the support from what we call the NUFC Fans Food Bank and the Match Day Collections, and it helped us gather the resources to reach out to other parts of the city. And for me, that was important because it reflected that people from across the city were supporting our charity. So it's good that we can now give back um, to the parts of the city um, where, where hardship is, is, is greatest, I suppose. Yeah, and so the whole thing, the whole thing goes together. It's the Helping Hands at Christmas campaign runs through through the whole of December, and the foundation are involved in it too. Now, the foundation have also been doing incredible work in the city for a very, very long time. Should be pointed out that the foundation was set up under Mike Ashley's ownership, but now the club are uh, engaging with it directly. They're all linked together. It's not seen as something separate. It's part of the same organisation and. Um, the foundation is an, the foundation building. Now that it has its own base, it's 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 a brilliant base. It's they work on uh, aspirational stuff. It's about employment. It's about education. Um, there are incredible sporting facilities. But one of the very important things that they've always had, and this is incredibly important to Shoda Amiobi, who grew up in the shadow of this building, went to Murray House as a kid, and it was a safe safe space for him as a kid. It still has that hyper-local aspect to it. It's not this fancy thing that has its door, doors closed to people on the on the doorstep who live there. Quite the opposite. It's open for them. And so, yeah, I went in and it was it was warm. It was nice. There were families there. There were big kids doing homework. They were playing. Um, there were families able to come in and use Wi-Fi. Just really great that the club... Involved in that anyway, so yeah, I spoke to Steve Baharel, who is the head of the foundation, and uh, and Shola there too. And then finally, and very briefly, I also spoke to Kim, one of the parents who uh, who brings her son Logan to the evening sports club at Newcastle. There's a synergy between the foundation identifying a particular challenge, particularly around what's happened to the city of Warm Space, and then the club um, just escalating that by this. I suppose we were just we were going to do this. The club have then added everything yeah. else, the, the staff commitment, the, the significant investment in the food bank. It feels like it's an example of what the new version of Newcastle United, Newcastle United Foundation is going to be all about. It feels like a good time to do this sort of thing, but actually I feel this is just a way of working, working now where we've got some insight, club have got some ambition, and they've been able to turn what is would have been quite a, a modest under the radar commitment of the community to something that is amplified. Um, that's the most significant thing, you know. And the building has given us the vehicle to do this yeah. type of What it's done is it's been able to allow the foundation to scale the vision. So ultimately, this has always been a vision, but because of we didn't have the space and also the capacity to, to be able to do that. And I think, for me, you look at 
you know, the way that it's been talked about within the club now in terms of what we want, what the club want to do in, in, in the community and actually you, how we can utilise the foundation to be able to do that and not sort of club do one thing and the foundation do yeah. another. It's actually be, like you say, the synergy between the two. There's not much really around this area for the young ones, like the really young ones unless you pay for them being football teams that would do things. So he does play football, but it was more a case of just coming together with friends from the area or making new friends from the area because there's not much apart from school, like after school for them to make friends. And so he's been coming here since it opened and um, it's made loads of new friends. It's brought his confidence on. He's um, now helping with the younger ones in the groups and helping them come on. It's just a really nice atmosphere. All the staff, they've ended up like family to them and stuff because they make such an effort. A child can just come once and they all know their name. And to me, that's so important. They make every single one of them feel special. And it's so, it's just rare to have that sort of thing. As you say, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot of sort of other facilities, so it's very important for people mm -hmm. to have something like this. Isn't it, it is very because, as I say, it, unless and especially in the current climate, unless you're paying for things and stuff, you know what I mean. Then yeah, yeah. and then you're still very secluded. Yeah, they're all like boys and girls playing together and within a different age group, and they're all making friends. They're all so close as you can yeah, see yeah. when they're in the group and then afterwards and they all got down amazingly well. So how often do you come down? We come on a Monday and Tuesday, sometimes a Friday, but yeah, every Monday and Tuesday we and how come. how long would you stay here for on a typical? Um, well, he won't leave. <laughs> I've deliberately dragged him, so yeah, he does the club and then he, he usually wants to stay with his friends to have yeah. a game of pool and... And do you chat on, are you chatting on with the other yeah. parents at the time mm -hmm. and stuff? This cool. has been good through the winter months that well, they've opened ask. up the room for the parents because we're all used to just sit in the room, watch them play. And I think sometimes they're not, they're a bit more standoffish when the parents are all there watching. And we can just go in there and have a cup and it's just a bit of me time away from yeah, the kids yeah. isn't it like yeah. in the little kids play on the computer they have a game of connect for and it's really nice and it's nice to see people who sometimes don't have kids who are coming to the center and coming in you know whose kids don't actually use like the club itself they are coming in like tonight i think that's the most that's ever been in yeah, there yeah, yeah. it's been really nice and honestly it's just an amazing place i'm I mean, so thankful that it opened yeah. Wonderful stuff, inspiring stuff as well, George. I mean, the the, the foundation is uh, fully intertwined with the community, isn't it? And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, and just the club in general. I mean, I just I want to repeat that it's not sexy. It's not really, you know, it's not about. Mm. Newcastle spending money on players. It's not about Darren Eales bringing in money for commercial deals. I think, though, that this is the most important thing that Newcastle are doing in so many, many ways. That we, you know, we know that this club is brilliant. We know that it sits right in the heart of the city, and we know that it fills the hearts of the people that go and watch it and spend so much money and time and invest all their 
hope into this thing. And now, finally, the club is looking outwards, seeing all that, recognising it, and deciding, it, wanting to be part of the city, wanting to be in a... If there's something happening in the city, the club wants to be in the conversation. And some of those things may not be obvious at first glimpse what it might do to the club, except that they're citizens. So they're part of it. And they want. And so, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff I saw and, and heard about, which I'm going to be writing about later this week, so please keep an eye on it, was, was difficult. It was tough. I hate the fact that kids are going hungry in our city. Mm-hmm. And I hate the fact that we still have this inc- incredible um, degrees of separation between wealth and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, quite frankly, some of the stuff that you were hearing about is people in work now who are struggling to pay their bills and are using the food bank. I mean, that's terrifying. It is. But the club are recognising that. They want to be in part of the conversation and they want to be part of the solution. And it's not just in isolation now. If it's the if it's the foundation, for example, the foundation can work with the club and guide with the club and they can all work together. And it's just, that's everything that I've wanted Newcastle to be for a very, very long time. Yes, I want to see them play well and win on the pitch, but I want the club to be good citizens and they are, they are being. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, then, chaps, uh, let's move on. We'll be back in just a tick uh, with some chat about Arsenal and Leeds coming up and the January transfer window. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, chaps, there's another two games of association football on the horizon. Leeds on New Year's Eve, the final game of 2022, and then a bit of a sterner test against Arsenal. But let's be honest, Chris, Newcastle really shouldn't fear anybody at the moment, should they, with the way they're playing, even Arsenal? No, they shouldn't. I mean, that is... We we said, we spoke about it last week briefly, but now you're looking at it, it is, it is Newcastle are in that sort of title conversation. Brendan Rodgers was asked after the game whether... He, as someone who's been in title races before, obviously with Liverpool just pipped to the to the title uh, one year when he was in charge there, did he see Newcastle United as title contenders? And he said, absolutely. And he basically went through the entire team and said why he thinks they are so strong in so many different areas. And what's so impressive about this Newcastle side is they're just so balanced. I mean, I had a bit of sort of festive fun after the game, after the win at Leicester, and we sort of spoke about this idea of the is this the best Newcastle team since the Bobby Robson side of two thousand and two three? And if so, 
let's sort of compare the two. Let's do a sort of composite eleven almost and sort of look through it and pick through different positions and sort of see where. But the 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 main difference I'd say between those two teams is that I think that there's no question that Eddie Howe's side is more balanced in terms of defensively. They're a heck of a lot stronger than Sir Bobby's side. I think defensively there was a weakness in that team. They're wonderful to watch going forward, and and Eddie Howe's side can be in many ways, but they also are very very solid at the back. This this Newcastle side, you just they don't give away opportunities. Never mind goals and. I mean, Leeds, I think, will, as I said, they're already going to come here having played 50-odd hours after Newcastle, so they're not going to be as rested up as Newcastle. Newcastle's home form uh, in 2022, the only two teams they've lost to are Cambridge United and Liverpool. They haven't lost to anyone else at St. James's Park in this calendar year. Their home form is wonderful. And then they'll go to Arsenal, and really the pressure will be off Newcastle in many ways. This Arsenal side now, who I'm sure will want to have a bit of revenge for what happened at St. James's Park in May when Newcastle basically cost them their place in the Champions League. But Newcastle don't have that pressure on. They're still... as How is very canny in answering these questions, as George said. He said, fans can dream. You guys in the media will talk about title race, but we just have to focus on on what we're doing at the moment. I'm not going get, to get dragged into that. He's not really commenting on that because that's not where they're expected to be. He's just focusing on it game on game. And at the minute, game on game is certainly working for Newcastle United. George Arsenal will definitely be a test, won't it? Probably a sterner test than anyone we've faced this season. And Arteta's really got them purring and playing some sublime football. But again, I, I mean, I said this on Twitter yesterday, I'm not scared of playing against anybody now. There's not a single team in the league where I look at and think, we're going to get our asses handed to us today. I just don't see it happening anymore. That was exactly what Robbie Elliott said after the match yesterday. He just said of Arsenal, it's just not one you're scared of anymore. And I mean... They, I guess, they're the they're the other team like Newcastle who've been the, if not the surprises, then, well, I guess maybe the surprises. No one expected Newcastle to be second or Arsenal to be top. I think we all thought it would probably be Man City or Liverpool. Um, and that's it. It's just that sort of lack of fear. It doesn't mean that Newcastle couldn't lose, but they, they've just made everything so incredibly difficult for the opposition. And that's the thing. You know that they will set Arsenal a challenge and pose them questions that other teams might not have done. I mean, you know, for Newcastle did lose at Liverpool, but I mean, and in very sort of uh, heartbreak, sort of distressing fashion because it came so late. But that was that was because Newcastle made it so difficult, and you can see them doing the same thing again. And um, no, it isn't something to be scared of. It's it's um, you know, you, you just don't look at those games anymore and think, "Oof, that's a tough one." I mean, yes, it will be tough, but you don't. It's 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 not tough. It's not tough and fear. It's tough and let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm more excited than I am exactly, about these exactly. teams now. I go into them thinking, "Come on, let's see what we're yeah. going against these." You it's, know, it's it's it the feels le- great. It's the league leaders away. Come on, absolutely. Not league leaders absolutely. away. Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to get injured. We're going to lose <laughs> yeah. five goals. Everything's going to go to shit afterwards. Yeah, yeah. We'll go on a a, a run of twelve games. In a row where we lose, it just doesn't happen like that now, does it? Uh, Chris, do we have any do we have any fitness concerns going into the the Leeds game and the the Arsenal game? And well, we haven't mentioned the Leeds game, but that's going to be another massive fixture on New Year's Eve and uh, potentially uh, a, a, a decent chance for Newcastle to get another three points as well. Yeah, I'm still scratching my head about how they're able to play Leeds on New Year's Eve. I'm sure the Northumbria police are probably not delighted by the prospect of Leeds fans coming up at 3pm on New Year's <laughs> Eve to then go back down yeah. to, to Leeds. But fitness concerns, I mean, I asked how about Callum Wilson after the game, A, when he found out that he wasn't going to be available and B, if he would be back this week. And he said that 
they'd been hopeful a couple of days before Lord Wilson had had this illness they were hopeful he was going to be available for for Leicester but actually on Christmas day he basically just he basically said himself I'm just not I'm I'm not going to be able to to give my all in terms of fitness wise I just don't have that ability to give it he, he said that how said he was hopeful that he'd be back for for Leeds I mean it would obviously be a huge boost if he was but Chris Chris Wood has come in and Newcastle beat Leicester with Chris Wood up front he played a key role in that they also beat Chelsea before the uh, the actual World Cup break with him up front as well he is he's, yes. he is playing a role as I wrote about the other week that he would and he is he is showing how key he is as someone he, he's not Callum Wilson he doesn't offer the same threat but I also he, that as George mentioned earlier the players who've come in and they make sure they make an impact he is certainly one of them the other issue that Newcastle have is that they're, they're light in midfield now because John Joe Shelby unfortunately who missed the first two months of the season with a hamstring injury he's now suffered a calf injury so he's going to be out for between six and eight weeks so we're not going to see him really until February probably mid-February and that is that is a concern because the way that Newcastle play they, they probably are going to pick up injuries here and there. The, the amount that, that Sean Longstaff put in again yesterday, the amount that these players are yes. expending. Covers some ground, doesn't he? Yeah. So that, what is interesting is, is I mean, we're going to talk about the January transfer window in just a second, but the one thing is, and I don't know the answer to this question, I am trying to find out, and because I, I don't think Newcastle decided, does John Joe Shelby's injury mean Newcastle will ramp up the search for the number six they were looking for anyway, but probably thinking a bit longer term? Yeah. Does it make it more of a pressing need for them to actually address next month? Absolutely. I mean, like you said, the January window is almost upon us. Well, George, what's the what's the mood music that's coming out of Newcastle at the minute? Are we... Are we going full steam ahead for the Champions League or do you think they're kind of playing it safe? I know we've spoken about this a little bit recently, but you know, things change and it's a it's a moving, uh, constantly moving situation, this, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as Chris says, whether whether the sort of John Joe Shelby thing changes what they were looking to do or not, we'll have to wait and see. We don't we don't have a definitive answer to that right now. But certainly before then, the the mood music is that, you know, this unlike the previous two windows, there isn't that tang of desperation about Newcastle. I mean, okay, fine, it wasn't desperation in the summer as such, but it was incredibly active. And certainly this time a year ago, it was desperation and stuff. Yeah. I mean, they just had to, they had to make a move and they had to try and do enough to stay up. All of that is, that jeopardy is now removed. And so it's it's much more in their own hands now, what they do and how they do it. It makes it really intriguing. I, I do sort of agree. I mean, I think there is certainly, in football terms, there's a case to strengthen from a position of strength. I mean, that's what the good good clubs do, the big clubs do. Um, you know that if there's an opportunity here for this club now, the way it's made up, they'll take it. The question is how much they can afford to do. And that's the thing. I mean, are we likely to hear from Yasser Al-Ramayn at any point? Is he going to get the checkbook? Like, it's not well, really what happens, isn't it? They have a chat with him and suddenly the money starts coming. Exactly. I mean... You know, we've we've had lots of conversations with people at the top of the club about FFP and what it means, and at the end of it, they've ended up spending money. But it's like Robbie made the point yesterday when Ayoso Perez comes on that effectively he's the last player that Newcastle have sold for decent money. I mean, that's pretty much right, isn't it, Chris? I mean, they can't just keep spending and not bringing anything in. I mean, they just cannot. They can't doing that. I mean, I know people. If if you ever have this conversation on social media, people respond by saying FFP doesn't exist and people just spend what they want. But that, I mean, that isn't true. There are restrictions and whether it's through sponsorship and commercial stuff or through player sales, Newcastle do have to start generating income now. Front of shirt thing, we know that's been going on. That's a big thing. But what do they do? I mean, what do they do with front of shirt right now? Because if Newcastle get in the Champions League, 
this season. The value of that goes through the roof, doesn't it? The value of that, you would think, goes through the roof. So does it actually now make more sense for them to wait? And what is there for the knock-on effect for hmm. the transfer funds? So, yeah, I think it's really... I was going to say, I think it's really tough. I'm not sure if it is really tough. They have the luxury of knowing that the team is in absolutely brilliant form and is doing well, that they have Isaac to come back into the equation, that to Maxima, he still isn't in the first 11 because of fitness concerns and because the team doing well. Now, that's kind of quite good. But yeah, I'm just saying this because it's kind of quite funny. And, and going back to that chat that I had with Robbie, I'd asked for questions on, on Twitter. You know, people wanted to fire questions about, you know, Robbie's memories of playing for Newcastle, what he thinks about what's happening now or anything else. And someone asked about left-backs and sort of said, you know, what is the solution to the left-back situation? Is it persevere with Dan Byrne? Is it bring back Matt Target? Or is it to sign somebody else? And sort of Robbie, you know, answered the question, but he laughed. He said, is this something that needs a solution when you've when is you're the best you? when yeah. you're the best defence in the country, when you've kept eight clean sheets or whatever it is, when it's a back five that is working together absolutely brilliantly, and when Matt Target had done nothing wrong in the first place to get left out of the team. And, and can't get a kick of a football now to save his life. Yeah. yeah, and if you look all across the pitch, you're you're saying the same thing. I mean it's like Chris Wood did what he needed to do yesterday and Newcastle won 3-0 at Leicester. I mean, it's like... Anyway, I just think we don't need to worry about that too much. We'll see how that pans out in the next few days. You just mentioned Wood, George. You didn't give us your verdict on the the twatted penalty. Yes, and in fact, that that was one of the questions that kind of kept coming up yesterday. I thought I would spare Robbie that because, you know, that's very much my... uh, That's kind of very much my thing. If I've got a criticism of it, it was that it was down the middle. Down the middle. Which is always interesting. A down the middle penalty is always you interesting. You don't often see them saved by goalkeepers. I know. It's not often that keeper stands still, is it? How, how, how many in the World Cup were actually sent down the middle? Either either dinky ones, which I don't like, or even deed firm ones. I mean, it's a, I don't think I would ever dare kick the ball down the middle. But no, the way... <laughs> I mean, Chris Wood, he, he's not one for a little stupid... Yeah. pointy toes. Luckily, George, we're never going to have to be in the situation where you need to kick the ball down the middle for Newcastle United, so we don't yeah, have to worry I think about those that, days are... I think those... <laughs> my, the, the chances of getting a call-up are just... I don't think they're just receding, aren't they? They're receding. Um, Chris, as far as outgoings are concerned, is there any information on that? We obviously have a lot of players there who are not playing a great deal of football at the minute. People like Matt Ritchie's made a second appearance in the league this season. Javier Manquillo sitting on the bench. There's a few others who are kind of kicking their heels around the training ground at the minute. Is there any news on outgoings? I think we probably we possibly could see more in terms of outgoings than incomings. As I say, this is, we, we're seeing this without knowing yet what Newcastle are going to decide to do with the John Joe Shelby situation. But Ryan Fraser uh, is someone who, uh, he was keen to leave in the summer, he obviously isn't playing that much. I think if Newcastle got a decent offer from them, they may consider letting them go. Certainly, if they could bring someone else in, they're going to be looking at loans to potentially bring in as well. So that's something that is a market they're actively looking to explore, given those FFP considerations. Maybe a loan with an option to buy or something like that. Matt Ritchie, as you say, he's been basically linked away just about every single window for the last three years to Bournemouth. But yeah, to Bournemouth to back to the south coast. And I think ideally, he would he would like to go back to to the south coast yeah. so that 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 something like that may 
well happen as well. But I, I don't see it as George said being a sort of hectic, certainly incoming wise, unless I mean injuries can and and situations can dictate otherwise. But I I think possibly two or three out, one maybe two in. But I think I think that's been looking at the very top end of it. Just incredibly briefly, someone like Matt Ritchie, um, yes, hasn't played very much. Um, he he was interviewed in the club program for the um, for the Bournemouth match. I think it was. Chris and and he talked about how much he's loving being part of it. Yes, his role has has adapted in the sense that he's not we're not seeing him very much, but he's still one of those driving figures around the training ground and in the dressing room. And I'm sure Eddie Howe would be very reluctant to lose that um, in lots of ways um, midway through a season. And so you've got all those balances. You know, you've got all those balances. Do you lose that? And then bring somebody else in. What you know? What are the pluses and minuses to all that? You know, there's just a very special mood around the squad at the moment that even those people who haven't figured are still very much part of things. I think it's safe to say, though, Chris, whatever happens this January, it's going to be quieter for you than it was last January. Yes, well, and I intend to leave George to do all the hard work this January. So, <laughs> doesn't sound like you, Chris. Not at all. Uh, right, okay. One more thing before we go. We've got to wish uh, a speedy recovery to Matty Longstaff as well, who was uh, stretched off for Colchester yesterday with what looked like a pretty serious knee injury. Get well soon, Matty. I hope that's not uh, anything that's going to keep him out for too long. Uh, right, chaps, I think that's just about it. We got anything else we'd like to add before we go? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it, it sounds sort of pointless even saying it, but I suppose I will anyway. The, the Newcastle fans at, at King Power were just absolutely phenomenal, but they are every week. But it was just it was they a were. particularly brilliant day out for them. And I mean, it was Boxing Day, Chris. They were all pissed before they even got on the <laughs> bus in the morning. So let's be honest. I mean, they were Geordie boys, and they were definitely <laughs> taking the piss. That was uh, it. Were. Was it was it was quite a contrast to the Leicester fans who all pissed off before quite a long time before the end of the match as well. So absolutely, I do have to say as well, I really enjoyed seeing James Madison sitting looking miserable as fuck in his jumper. That was nice in the crowd. Uh, and also Bruno Gimaraes celebrating a tackle as if he'd won the World Cup. That was well, quite at, good at one well. stage, actually, with the corner during the second half, the trip here was taken. Bruno, the fans were chanting his name and he, he turned and applauded them and then he sort of bowed in mid-air as if to say that just just, just to, to give his admiration. And then after the game, obviously, the, the shirt's thrown into the crowd and the, the cheer for, for Bruno was just, was just fantastic. So, yeah, brilliant to see. Newcastle fans, as Eddie Howe says, are enjoying themselves and, and so they should because this is just what a year it's been. What a year it's been. There was a piece during the World Cup on the Athletic about that thing, Taylor, that you mentioned about people sort of celebrating individual moments like that. So it's not just about goals or mm. saving a penalty. Yeah. That defenders increasingly sort of celebrating that last, you know, last gas challenge that prevents a goal, or a midfielder sort of celebrating a tackle. But it did, sort of, it does sort of sum up the mood around Newcastle, doesn't it? That um, someone who's you know as blissfully talented as Bruno loves sticking his foot in and celebrated that moment like that too and that's you know that's um that's very much part of how this team operates absolutely right then chaps let's call it a day um you lot out there listening don't forget the boxing day sale go to theathletic.com forward slash newcastle pod and you can pick up a subscription to the athletic and pay one pound a month for 12 months in our limited time offer that's it chaps for 2022 we will not be back until next year that sounds mad doesn't it uh and let's hope newcastle can get another couple of wins Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks a lot, George. And thanks to all of you out there listening uh, from Pod on the Time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy Newcastle Year. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.
The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.